0: For the first time, the National Archives will gather records from across the federal government on UAPs and have a legal mandate to release those records to the public if appropriate. This is a major, major win for government transparency on UAPs, and it gives us a strong foundation for more action in the future.
1: That was Majority Leader Chuck Schumer during his colloquy with Senator Mike Rounds on the Senate floor on December 13th. I'm your host, Rasha Ilas. In this episode, we'll be talking about the latest legislation passed in Congress demanding government transparency about what used to be called UFOs, now referred to as Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, or UAPs. To help make sense of the story, with us today is Daniel Sheehan, a civil rights lawyer who worked on Watergate and the Pentagon Papers, among other free speech cases. But especially relevant to today's episode is his work as far back as 1977, when he served as special counsel to the Congressional Research Service on an inquiry requested by then-President Jimmy Carter into the existence of extraterrestrial intelligence. More recently, Danny has been on the forefront of pushing the U.S. government to disclose what, if anything, it knows about UAPs, and what's now referred to by U.S. lawmakers as biologics or non-human intelligence. Danny, thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you, Russia.
1: Okay, let's start with a little bit of background on the issue of UAPs. This year has been the most significant on the topic in recent memory, and it started in the summer with a bombshell disclosure from the high-ranking intelligence officer-turned-whistleblower David Grosh. Here's a clip from Grosh's testimony under oath before the House Oversight Committee back in July. Have a listen.
3: I became a whistleblower through a PPD-19 urgent concern filing in uh, May 2022 uh, with the Intelligence Community Inspector General. Uh, following concerning reports from multiple esteemed and credentialed current and former military and intelligence community individuals that the U.S. government is operating with secrecy above congressional oversight uh, with regards to UAPs. My testimony is based on information I've been given by individuals with a long-standing track record of legitimacy and service to this country many of whom also have shared compelling evidence in the form of photography, official documentation, and classified oral testimony to myself and many my various colleagues. I have taken every step I can to corroborate this evidence over a period of four years while I was with the UAP Task Force and do my due diligence on the individual sharing it. Uh, This is because of these steps I believe strongly uh, in the importance of bringing this information before you. I am driven by a commitment of both uh, to truth and transparency, rooted in our inherent duty to uphold the United States Constitution and protect the American people. I'm asking Congress to hold our government to this standard and thoroughly investigate these claims.
1: And here he is a bit later answering questions from Congresswoman Nancy Mace. If you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this
3: craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries, yeah.
1: Were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics?
3: Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program.
1: So Grosh alleges that the U.S. government has been running a secret, multi-decade UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program that the government has what he called biologics, as in biological entities that had piloted the UAPs, and that all of this information has been kept out of congressional oversight, which of course would be illegal. Danny, what do you make of these allegations?
2: Well, uh, I, I make of them the fact that they're true uh, because I've, I've uh, talked with David Grush before his testimony I've talked to him since then. Uh, I've talked to numerous other uh, witnesses, uh, some of whom to whom he was referring uh, when he was stating that he had spoken with people who have firsthand, immediate knowledge uh, of the program itself. Uh, And uh, so I'm completely certain that it's true uh, and that the Congress of the United States has been briefed out of this so that they're not allowed to know about it. Uh, even presidents such as Jimmy Carter, that you'd referred to earlier, uh, was not briefed into the program. There have been secretaries of defense that have not been briefed into the program. Uh, there have been you know, heads of the CIA who have not been briefed into the program. Uh, it's completely outrageous from a constitutional point of view that the government of our country, uh, our elected leaders, uh, have been excluded from access to this information.
1: Now, I just want to get into the whole idea of a whistleblower and the legal protections that they have. And I would like you to walk us through how it works. I mean, it's my understanding that he first had to go to the inspector general of the intelligence community, who basically found Grosh's allegations credible and urgent. That in and of itself carries a lot of gravitas. And of course, Grosh later on gave testimony to the intelligence committees, both in the House and the Senate. Just tell us a little bit about how all that works behind the scenes.
2: Well, the original person that people started hearing a lot about uh, with regard to this UFO issue uh, was Luis Elizondo and Christopher Mellon. And uh, Christopher Mellon was the uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence. Under both President uh, Clinton and under President George W. Bush. Uh, and uh, Lou Elizondo was the commander of the uh, a top secret UFO investigation conducted by the Pentagon in secret. Uh, and these two men came forward in December of 19, uh, in 2017 and brought with them the now famous videos uh, of the UFOs. Uh, that were taken by the F-18 Super Hornet gun cameras off uh, two different U.S. uh, aircraft carrier units. This began the the real modern flap about all of this. uh, When the New York Times, board of editors reviewed all of these uh, accusations and concluded that those videos were real uh, and that they broadcast those and then did a uh, full-page, front-page story in the New York Times on December seventeenth of two thousand seventeen, and since that time, there's been this this increasing crescendo uh, of activity on the part of the Congress to try to find out about this. Uh, and that they we succeeded in getting a statute passed in two thousand twenty-two, uh, which was added to the National Defense Authorization Act of two thousand twenty-two, uh, in which the the whistle, potential whistleblowers were given protection uh, by the by Congress, saying that. Nobody could undertake any kind of retaliation against anybody in the military or intelligence community who wanted to come forward to talk about this, uh, as long as they went to a new organization that was being created back in 2022. And that was the, the all domain, uh, anomalous resolution office. Uh, and that was a, that was a special office that was set up under the aegis of the defense the Secretary of Defense and the, and the Director of National Intelligence, it was a place for whistleblowers to come to, uh, and they were authorized by the statute passed in December of, of 2022 to communicate the information to this new office that they knew about. Uh, what happened, however, uh, during 2023 is that uh, the, the whistleblowers ended up really not trusting that office because it was still under the control of the Defense Department and the control of the intelligence communities who were the government agencies that have been actively concealing this information.
1: Okay, okay, let's let's back up a little bit because you mentioned the 2017 New York Times report which very much catapulted this story into the public realm at least in recent memory. It was after that story two or three years later that the Pentagon came forward saying, "Yes, this video is authentic."
2: That's right. Because Lou Elizondo Uh, who had uh, participated with Chris Mellon in bringing these videos to the New York Times, uh, started being attacked uh, by people in the Defense Department, saying there was no such program. They don't know who Lou Elizondo is. Uh, He's uh, making this all up. Uh, And so Lou reached out to me to retain me as his attorney. uh, And we prepared an official complaint, uh, which we lodged with the inspector general of the Defense Department. Uh, and then went and met with the inspector general and his staff and conveyed to him and his staff the details of information to prove that Lou Elizondo uh, was, in fact, the commander of the, uh, of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Pro- Program in the Pentagon. That he, in fact, was exactly who he said he was. And that be- because of that, he- we also, in that complaint, demanded that the Defense Department start to put forth some sort of a protocol. Pursuant to which people inside the military and inside the American intelligence community could be authorized to come forward and to tell Congress uh, what it is that they knew about this program. Because Lou was extremely upset over the fact that he viewed this as being unconstitutional and illegal for this private sector and uh, the deep, uh, what they called unacknowledged special access programs inside the Pentagon, were concealing this information. Not only from Congress in general, uh, but also from presidents and secretaries of defense uh, and uh, others, and so that this uh, this generated an undertaking on the part of the Congress to come forward to actually promulgate such a set of protocols, uh, and that, that culminated in 2022 with the passage of the act that created the the uh, what they call the uh, Arrow Office the uh, All-Domain Anomalous Resolution Office, and that was a place to which the whistleblowers could come and convey this information, well, protections against being retaliated against. The problem was is that most of the the, uh, people who had access to this information didn't trust that office because, as I said, it was still under the control of the Defense Department and the Director of National Intelligence, uh, and uh, those were the people that were concealing it. Not only concealing it, but they were lying about it actively lying to Congress, saying that they didn't have any such thing, there was no such program, uh, they'd never recovered any of, of the UFOs, uh, and that they still were maintaining that they didn't even think UFOs were real. <laughs> so, so it wasn't, they weren't trusted. And so something else had to be done, and that's what accounts for the new law that has been proposed now in 2023, which we'll talk about.
1: Okay, so David Grosh was protected by which law?
2: Well, actually, it was interesting. He was, he actually presented his proposed testimony to the, the United States Defense Department pre publication, uh, screening, uh, group. Uh, and he was authorized by the, the Defense Department to testify as he did. So uh, that, uh, but he was still retaliated against. <clears throat> and people inside the Defense Department, uh, sicked a number of reporters on him and tried to, uh, to castigate him etc. Uh, and so the, it just confirmed the suspicions that other people had that he wasn't safe in going forward uh, to the, to the uh, office created in 2022. So the Congress realized that we needed more protection.
1: Yeah, not just that, but it's my understanding that it's under investigation, uh, the the extent of retaliation that he's uh, had to endure, including potentially a threat to life for him or for his wife and all sorts of things that are still under investigation we don't know much about. But that's my understanding, correct?
2: That is right.
1: Okay, so back to my question about how you know he, he went to the inspector general and you know the fact that the inspector general of the intelligence community found his allegations credible and urgent. I mean, that in and of itself, it says a lot.
2: <laughs> that's right. That, that's an additional dimension of verification of these. You know, in Charles McCullough, who was the inspector general for the intelligence community, Uh, came forward uh, and actually retired and agreed to represent uh, Colonel Grosch uh, to to actually protect him and defend him, uh, and then was involved with others in coming forward to Congress, to the Senate Intelligence Committee. And then what we did is we opened up a pathway for these whistleblowers who didn't trust the Arrow Office uh, to come forward to bring the information to the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, who had all the proper clearances, et cetera. Uh, and so that's what happened. And so there began to be this progression of some 40 different people who had direct firsthand knowledge uh, about this program, uh, about the fact that there for decades, the uh, a, a deep undisclosed program hidden deep in the bowels of the Pentagon uh, was involved in uh, recovering uh, UFOs uh, and in uh, trying to back engineer them. And they've been delegating to different private Aerospace corporations uh, such as Lockheed Martin uh, in Radiance Technologies uh, and others. uh, They've been giving some of the technology that they've recovered from some of the UFO craft. uh, that Those companies were involved in trying to back engineer this information. Uh, And uh, when we discovered that what they were doing is trying to develop a weapons system (laughs) using the technology, uh, increased the amount of urgency and getting the United States Congress to be briefed in on what was going on so they could establish control over such a program and stop it if they chose to.
1: Okay. I mean, so, so many questions, but we'll get to all those. Uh, Let's get back to the bill that was sponsored by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Republican Senator Mike Rounds. They introduced some stunning language into that bill initially. What were they trying to do? Just tell us more about it.
2: Well, the, the, the bill that was drafted by the Senate Intelligence Committee.
1: Uh, and this was a bipartisan bill?
2: Totally bipartisan. It was passed by the Senate Intelligence Committee 17 to 0. So every single one of the Republican senators, every single one of the Democratic senators all supported this bill. Uh, and it passed the United States Senate uh, by 48 to 11. This, this bill was a 64-page bill. Uh, to be inserted into the 3,500-page uh, National Defense Authorization Act of 2023. Uh, in this setup, uh, an independent board uh, to be appointed by the President of the United States to investigate uh, the amount of information that the, the different military services had, the different intelligence agencies had, the different Defense Department agencies had, and very importantly, what information any of these private aerospace uh, corporations had, in uh, order them to command them to turn it over to Congress.
1: And that's very important. Uh, Danny, I just want to point out that uh, in the bill, there was also the provision of eminent domain. So when these private defense contractors, Uh, let's say, get their hands on hardware or UAPs or whatever, then it becomes completely hidden away from any FOIA request.
2: That's right. And it was perceived uh, by the crafters of the legislation that that was a tactic that had been adopted, uh, an intentional tactic, putting the technology over into the hands of these private aerospace uh, technology corporations so they could claim patent uh, information and secret, uh, 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 trade secrets, uh, and that there are provisions that prevent them from having to turn over information to the Congress about a private patent that they have. Uh, and so that the importance in this bill, the Schumer bill, was to give this independent uh, board, a nine-person board to be appointed by the president, that they were to have the authority to exercise eminent domain to actually seize and return into the custody of the United States government any such UFOs and any of the technology that had been derived from it, and any of the information was to be turned over uh, to this board. And this board, this, what they call the, the uh, basically the UFO uh, uh, Records Review Board, is what it was called. Uh, they, they then had the authority to turn over to Congress uh, this information and to turn it over to the Senate Intelligence Committee, the House Intelligence Committee, and very importantly, to make a decision ultimately as to what information ought to be revealed to the public. Uh, And that that became a major bone of contention, as you might guess, because not only the private aerospace industry that wanted to keep a secret so they could develop it and make tons of money on it, but the CIA and the deep intelligence agencies and the, the undisclosed military programs that were going on, didn't want the public to know about this. Uh, and so that they started, uh, they, there was also a provision giving that board subpoena power. So if they thought that there was information that any one of the intelligence agencies or any one of the military services, for example, were not turning over to them, that they had the authority to subpoena them and take depositions, It's just like in a regular litigation, and go after them and hold them in contempt of court they they actually had a provision in there uh that authorized them to go to the attorney general and have the attorney general go to the federal district court and get a, a judicial order commanding them to turn over the information or they could be put in prison for contempt of court so this was a, this had major teeth in this bill uh to enforce the bill and to establish this completely independent agency operating under the control of the president to extract this information uh, from the military services and the Defense Department, intelligence agencies, and from these private contractors, and put it into the hands of Congress. Uh, and so this 64-page bill was passed unanimously by the Senate Intelligence Committee with Republicans and Democrats agreeing, uh, overwhelmingly passed by the United States Senate, and was sent to the House of Representatives. That's where it started running into trouble, over in the Republican House there.
1: Yeah, we'll get into the pushback in a second. But I also want to shed some light on how um, aerospace and defense contractors bid on contracts with the U.S. government. It's my understanding that the bidding process has to be fair. So uh, contractors have to sort of have, you know, if they have the appropriate clearance and all that stuff, they have to have equal access to the contract that the government is, is putting out there for bidders. Uh, if this is true, and if there were one or two airspace uh, contractors only that have had access to this incredible, you know, paradigm shifting technology that some parts of the US government have been privy to, but not others, and all has been going on without the knowledge of Congress, and of course, if true, that would be very uh, illegal, isn't that also? unfair to other aerospace contractors.
2: In fact, it's illegal <laughs> too. Uh, it's, a, it's a violation of antitrust laws and everything. Uh, and it it's, uh, subjects uh, those, uh, those private aerospace companies because there was no bidding. Uh, there was no notification of, to other aerospace uh, competitors that this technology even existed. And so that what it did is it opened up uh, those, those companies such as uh, Lockheed Martin, Uh, and uh, Radiant Technologies, that it opened them up to potential antitrust lawsuits uh, by those people. In fact, it opened them up to actually a federal criminal racketeering charge uh, under the Racketeer and Corrupt, uh, uh, RICO, (laughs) the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organization Act. Uh, It's a federal criminal statute uh, that says because it was clear that the, the people that were working with the aerospace industries and inside these undisclosed uh, programs were engaged in criminal activity, uh, that they were lying, they were committing perjury, they were uh, intimidating witnesses, uh, they were threatening people, uh, they destroyed the lives and careers of many, many people uh, inside the intelligence community and defense industry to try to keep this secret. Uh, they threatened uh, American citizens uh who who were able to find information out about the UFO program uh in that the so therefore if you if you frame this uh looking through the, the lens of the of the Federal Criminal Rocketeering Act, you see that the coalition of these undisclosed and unauthorized uh programs inside the Pentagon were working in cahoots with the aerospace industry. Those private citizens were that citizens were subject to criminal prosecution and also independent civil action under the Federal uh, Criminal Racketeering Act uh, to punish them uh, criminally for what they were doing. Uh, And this constituted a terrible threat uh, to the aerospace industry. Uh, And so that they came forward and began to exercise pressure on the uh, chairman of the House uh, Intelligence Committee and to pressure the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, uh, the, uh, that uh, uh, Michael Turner, uh, and Michael Rogers, uh, and they both started getting pressure from the aerospace industry uh, to shut this bill down. Uh, and uh, so they did. They mustered all kinds of uh, power since they chaired those two powerful committees uh, and could threaten other members of the committees who clearly wanted to have this 64-page bill passed, uh, started threatening them, uh, and uh, and that's that's what started happening here. And so there was this heavy pushback that was being generated by the aerospace industry itself, uh, who were were concerned about being uh, sued and possibly prosecuted for what they were doing. Uh, and so that the pushback started to get stronger and stronger. Uh, and the the, uh, the the Mike Turner and uh, Mike Rogers started demanding. That, uh, the, for example, the, the uh, eminent domain authority be taken out of the bill. They demanded that the subpoena power be taken out of the bill, which would give them the authority to resist and simply refuse to obey Congress. Uh, and so, uh, Chuck Schumer and Mike Rounds and, uh, Senator Gillibrand and, and Senator Rubio and others on the Senate side started pushing back, uh, insisting upon the bill getting passed. And then, uh, the, the Republican head of the Intelligence Committee and the Republican head of the Armed Services Committee in the House threatened to pull the entire bill and say that they, okay, good, we won't put anything into the National Defense Authorization Act about UFOs at all, and you won't get any kind of additional authority. Uh, and so this negotiating process went on, and the bill was reduced from 64 pages down to 24 pages. Uh, but very importantly, it still retained a number of extremely important provisions, which we can go into. Uh, but with regard to the actual pushback uh, dynamic, that's how it happened. Uh, and so that there are still, in a sense, 40 pages <laughs> of legislation that the Senate still wants to get done. Uh, but they've gotten 24 pages of it passed, uh, which is going to become operational within a matter of a couple days now, as soon as uh, President Biden signs it into law because that 24-page bill has passed both the Senate and the House now.
1: Yeah, I actually want to play a clip from last week on December 13th, when uh, both Senators Schumer and Rounds engaged in a colloquy on the Senate floor and they admonished the House for failing to pass the original language. So let's have a listen.
0: Say to my colleague from South Dakota, who we've worked with as a great team on this issue and many other issues, I might add, uh, it's beyond disappointing that the House has refused to work with us on all the important elements of the UAP Disclosure Act during the NDAA conference. But nevertheless, we did make important progress. For the first, for the first time, the National Archives will gather records from across the federal government on UAPs and have a legal mandate to release those records to the public if appropriate. This is a major, major win for government transparency on UAPs, and it gives us a strong foundation for more action in the future.
4: I I, I agree, sir, and I I think probably the most significant shortcomings that I think we need to visit about as well, shortcomings of the conference committee agreement that are now being voted on were the rejection, first of all, of a government-wide review board composed of expert citizens, presidentially appointed and Senate confirmed, to control the process of reviewing the records and recommending to the president what records should be released immediately or postponed, and a requirement as a transparency measure for the government to obtain any recovered UAP material or biological remains that may have been provided to private entities in the past and thereby hidden from Congress and the American people. We are lacking oversight opportunities and we are not fulfilling our responsibilities.
0: Well, I'd like to echo what my friend Senator Rounds has said today and on many occasions. It's essential we keep working on our proposal to create an independent presidentially appointed review board that can oversee UAP classified records and create a system for releasing them where appropriate to the public. Again, as the Senator has said, It's the same method used for the JFK records, and it continues to work to this very day. It is really an outrage the House didn't work with us on adopting our proposal for a review board, which of course, by definition here, is bipartisan in the Senate. Now it means that declassification of UAV records will be largely up to the same entities that have blocked, obfuscated their disclosure for decades. We will keep working. I want to assure the American people, Senator Rounds and I will keep working to change the status quo. And before I yield finally to him, I'd like to just acknowledge my dear friend, the late Harry Reid, a mentor who cared about this issue a great deal. So he's looking down and smiling on us, but he's also importuning us to get the rest of this done, which we will do everything we can to make happen.
4: Uh, I agree with my friend and colleague. To those who think that the citizen review board that would have been created in our UAP Disclosure Act, that it would be unprecedented and somehow would go too far. We note that the proposed review board was very closely modeled on the review board established in the JFK Assassination Records Act of 1992, which has successfully guided the release of records to the American public on another very sensitive matter of high interest to the American people. And it does one more thing that we really need to recognize, and that is that there is, we believe, information and data that has been collected by more than just the Department of Defense, but by other agencies of the federal government as well. And by allowing for an outside, independent collection of these records, we can make progress in terms of dispelling myths and providing accurate information to the American people.
1: So yeah, Danny, tell us about it, uh, it passed in a diluted form. What does this mean for disclosure moving forward?
2: Here's, here's what the, the stripped down law provides. Extraordinarily importantly, uh, it commands from Congress, uh, and as soon as the president signs it, a command from the president himself, ordering all uh, six of the United States military services all 18 of the United States intelligence uh, agencies, all 32 of the United States uh, uh, defense agencies, uh, and all of the aerospace industry uh, that has any of this information or any of the technology, the, the law orders them to turn it over uh, to the National Archives. Okay? Now, that's extraordinarily important. Uh, now, the fact that there's no teeth in it, that there's no way to enforce it, uh, it raises a, a profound constitutional question about the authority of these, these government-funded programs refusing to obey Congress and refusing to obey the president himself. Uh, that, that's a, that's a, an extraordinarily dangerous constitutional precedent to have. Uh, we saw it once before during the Iran-Contra uh, crisis. That uh, the United States Congress passed the Boland Amendment in March of 19 or April of 1984, commanding the executive branch, the CIA and the Defense Department, not to provide any military equipment to the Contras in Central America. But it turns out because there was no teeth in it uh, and and uh, didn't have any way to enforce it, the the intelligence agency, the CIA, started trying to go around them by setting up a secret program. Uh, providing military equipment and everything in complete defiance of Congress uh, to uh, to give military equipment to the Contras. Our office caught them uh, and filed a major criminal racketeering act uh, charge against them <clears throat> and began the litigation, began the depositions, uh, and uh, began to convey all of this information to Congress, resulting in a major uh, set of hearings. The United States Senate Intelligence uh, Community and the uh, Congress passed the uh, put into place a joint uh, session to investigate them. Uh, And something like that may happen here. Uh, But we don't want to have to go to those lengths to do it this time. What we want to do is have teeth put back into the statute. Uh, And this is what the colloquy was about uh, between uh, Senator Schumer and Senator Rounds on December 13th. They were saying, look, that not only are we objecting to the fact that Congress took the enforcement provisions out of this thing, the House took it out. But we're intending to try to get them put back uh, in. Uh, now, this is quite rare uh, because once a, a compromise is struck between the House and Senate, uh, they usually both go on to other things and just let it set. But the, in this particular case, the Senate has now come forward and said, we aren't going to take this lying down here. You know, that we're going to come back and we're going to try to get this independent board established. Uh, we're going to get it appointed by the president. Uh, we want to have a subpoena power. We want to have eminent domain authority. Uh, we're going to come back and try to get this done. And so our office, the New Paradigm Institute, which is one of the the it's the citizen group, it was authorized by the Senate bill to actually recommend appointments to this nine-person board. Uh, we're involved in trying to make sure that this process takes place. So that we're, we're reaching out to uh, all of our our people that we can contact, all the people that are listening to this show, you know, to get in touch with the New Paradigm Institute through newparadigminstitute.org. dot uh, org, excuse me uh, org is it should it should read <laughs> uh, newparadigminstitute.org. dot uh, org, and that way they can join in supporting this whole project, uh, and and write letters to we'll we'll send letters to their senators and their congressmen uh, and congress people. and and get them to call for the strengthening of this bill. But as I said, the bill itself commands these agencies to turn this information over to the National Archives, and therefore it will be made available to the Senate Intelligence Committee and the House Intelligence Committee.
1: Yeah, but you said uh, now the next step is to put the teeth back into the bill.
2: This is the next step. We need to keep the drum beat up. We, we mounted a major citizen campaign to demand that the uh, that a statute be passed, commanding all of these groups to turn over the information to the National Archives and therefore to the, to the Congress, uh, and we, we won that part of it. Uh, but we, we know that their history has shown that they'll refuse uh, to obey something unless there are specific enforcement provisions in it. And so that's what our next step is going to be. Uh, and it's going to be extremely important to educate the people in the country uh, about the existence of this bill, the existence of the command outstanding now from Congress and the president, commanding them to turn this over. Uh, and that we need to make clear to people that, that we don't believe that they're going to comply.
1: What's the timeline then for reintroducing those provisions that were dropped out of the bill?
2: Well, they're, they're, they're going to be coming back into the second term of the 118th Congress. You know, on January third. <laughs> so, so uh, now, now there's this weird thing happening this year because, as as you know, the entire budget has been put off until January 19th. Usually, the the budget for 2024 has to be passed before December 31st. Uh, you know, of 2023. Uh, and there's been this extension put in because of the. Uh, The right wing Republicans refusing to allow any funding to go to the Ukraine unless a major amount of funding is put in to secure the border, the southern border of the United States. So there's there's this protracted process, uh, which is going to probably delay the mounting of this campaign to get the teeth put back into this statue until after January 19th. But as of January 20th, uh, you can bet, you know, we want is much pressure having been generated among the citizenry to send letters, telegrams, communications, emails, uh, just come to newparadigminstitute.org, uh, and, uh, and that will be done. Uh, we can help send these communications for you to the Congress uh, and to get this brought back up on the agenda so that that drumbeat can continue. Uh, because the, the bottom line is that if, in fact, they won't turn over the information to the National Archives because they don't want to turn it over to Congress, it's going to place a dramatic limitation on what's going to be made available to the public. But there is a major provision, the second major feature of this slim down bill, in addition to commanding all of them to turn it over to the, to the archives and to Congress, there, there is in fact a provision in there that all the information that they turn over, uh, is, is anything that's 25 years old, has to be made public.
1: Automatically.
2: Automatically, but there's only one way that it can be delayed, and that is if the president himself personally intervenes and orders a particular piece of information to be postponed from public disclosure. Uh, there is that provision in there, uh, but what we're all looking at, of course, is the Roswell information, uh, and we know dozens and dozens of instances uh, of uh, of, uh, of encounters that have been established and we know of uh, at least nine uh, UFOs that have been recovered.
1: <laughs> Let's go through those just very briefly. The Roswell incident, which is very popular in pop culture and all that stuff. But just, just tell us a little bit and a little bit about the nine others just briefly.
2: It's, it's not hard. What, what you wanna, people want to go to, uh, people want right to write from here, they want to rush right to their computer. <laughs> They're probably on their computer already. They want to go to Amazon Books. And you want to get uh, a, a Richard Dolan, who was a Ph.D. student at UPenn, doing a, a history Ph.D. on the history of these. He has written a two-volume uh, compendium uh, of these experiences, okay? And it's, it's, it's Richard Dolan, D-O-L-A-N, and the, the, the two-volume work is called UFOs in the National Security State. Simple. UFOs in the national security state, Richard Dolan. And you will see details of all the different instances in which the United States military has recovered uh, these craft. Okay, Uh, And up until this point in time, uh, the Pentagon and the Defense Department and the and the uh, CIA have just been saying that isn't true. We don't know what you're talking about. No such thing has ever happened. Uh, We still think UFOs are swamp gas. You know, but in a mistaken flock of birds, you know, but but now we've crossed that Rubicon. We've now gotten the Congress to acknowledge that this is a real phenomenon uh, and that we need to have the documents turned over.
1: I just want to interject here. Uh, You say we've crossed that Rubicon. I mean, yeah, many people in Congress have, including those who are well placed, who have been privy to information and hearings and uh, disclosures and whistleblower testimony behind closed doors that the public has not been privy to. The story has not really been falling on front page news, you know, except here and there, and and so on. It just seems to be growing slowly, but uh, on the sidelines. I'm sure there are many reasons for it. There's other things that people are focused on these days and so on. And also, we've been uh, primed to dismiss this whole subject matter, which actually Grosh talked about in his testimony. Tell us about that.
2: Again, Richard Dolan, in his two volumes of UFOs in the National Security State, details along with documented proof that the United States Central Intelligence Agency and uh, an element inside the Defense Department has been consciously engaged in a criminal covert operation uh, punishing people for trying to come forward with this information uh, and threatening them and destroying their political careers and destroying their their professional careers, destroying their family uh, life, you know to intimidate them, to stop to keep this information secret. Uh, and so that what's happened is the culture uh, has been Uh, Kind of schizophrenic about this entire issue. That on the one hand, you know, over 65 percent of all of the people polled say that they're convinced that UFOs are real uh, and that extraterrestrial life really exists. And yet, these the Central Intelligence Agency and the Defense Department have been maintaining that no, no, it isn't true. Anybody who thinks that are crazy. You know, you're all a bunch of tinfoil hat people you know, and you're mentally ill and you ought to go get a psychiatric exam. And that's taken its toll over seven decades. You know, it's, it's infused this idea into the culture that you need to be uh, concerned about talking about this. Uh, if you bring this up, your friends and neighbors and professional uh, associates are going to think you're crazy. You're actually mentally ill. <clears throat> you're unstable. You're a conspiracy theorist. So that that, that seven decade program has taken its toll and so there's this major kind of meme that has to be overcome now. Uh, and the, it's, it's been overcome, at least preliminarily, with Congress, with the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, the Defense Committee. You know, Jack Reed, who is the head of the Senate Armed Services Committee, is on board supporting this law, the full 64-page law. So there's a process that we're going to have to go through uh, to get people to, to move from thinking that this is just something that's entertaining uh, in a science fiction kind of movie subject uh, into understanding that it's true. Because if, if, in fact, for example, the President of the United States, you know, on Christmas Eve came on national television and said, oh, look, we need to acknowledge that our United States government has recovered a non-human uh, extraterrestrial spacecraft and bodies of an of a, a intelligent, highly technologically developed, but non-human species behind these UFOs you know, the whole roof would fall in, you know, uh, and people would go, holy mackerel. Uh, we've now been told by an authoritative source that that, that this is true. And, and so what we're close to that now that you've got David, Colonel Grosch has gone in front of a, the Senate or the House uh, Oversight Committee and testified under oath that it's true. Uh, now what we have to do is lift that up and move that up into the consciousness of the American people so that they're demanding to know what, what we can do. Be told about that, we have work to do to to do that
1: yeah, I also want to point out that all the lawmakers you mentioned who are pushing for disclosure, who are in fact saying publicly, "Yes, this is true, this is going on, and we want uh, you know we want official disclosure, we want the actual evidence presented to the public, so on and so forth. It's my understanding. These are not lawmakers who, you know, woke up one day, oh, I believe in UFOs. I mean, these are lawmakers who are privy to top secret information and testimony and evidence and testimony from firsthand witnesses who testify under oath that they have worked with such material.
2: That is absolutely right.
1: So this is... We're not really dwelling in the realm of belief or disbelief right now. Here, we're just dwelling in the realm of who has access to what information, who the gatekeepers are, who has a right to know, and who's, who's trying to uh, push back on on the right to know, basically.
2: And it's, and it's primarily the, the private aerospace industries, you know, that, that want to make trillions of dollars of private profit uh, by actually utilizing this technology. For weapons, uh, because that's where the big money is, you know, to be able to make money on that and get, you know, no bid contracts on it and cost plus contracts. Uh, That's that's what they're trying to do so that we have this craven motive uh, going on here uh, and that they're exercising their power and influence by giving money to the person who's the head of the the uh, House Intelligence Committee. You know, and the major funder for for uh, Michael Rogers, who's the head of the House Armed Services Committee, his major campaign funder is Lockheed Martin. Is in possession of this information. You know, his congressional district is where the Redstone rocket missile testing facility is, where they're trying to use the back engineered technology from the UFO craft to to propel nuclear missiles. Uh, so that they can strike into the Soviet Union and China in two minutes, you know, uh, and, and totally destabilize the entire geopolitical structures that have been put in place to try to protect against nuclear war. You know, I mean, that's, that's the, the people driven by pure private greed, uh, you know. Uh, and and when, you, when you mask it under the rubric of the national security of the United States, this isn't increasing the national security of the United States. It's undermining national security of the United States for profit.
1: How much longer can this be kept a secret? It seems that the the genie's out of the bottle. The toothpaste is out of the tube, so to speak. You can't put it back in. So is all this pushback just part of just buying a little bit of time to kind of put ducks in a row, put protections in place, buy some time for defense? I mean, is a big reckoning coming?
2: This is a, it's a sort of an existential question, you know, of whether or not we can, it's sort of like saying, you know, is the United States going to come to grips with giving equal protection to really all of our cid- citizens, finally, <laughs> after the passage of the 14th Amendment, you know, uh, back in 1868, you know, there's this ongoing existential process of bringing into place, you know, a, a projected reality. Uh, so they're, they're, they believe that there's precedent for them being able to put off and put off and put off, you know, as much uh, of much of this revelation as they possibly can. And uh, as long as they've got a, a channel open to give money to the person who's the head of the House Intelligence Committee and the House Armed Services Committee, and they can just pay them money uh, to make sure they stay in office, uh, you know, and th- they'll block whatever, whatever uh, we want to try to do. It's a flaw in our constitutional system right now that we have to cure. And the longer they keep this up, the more curative steps are going to have to be taken to amend the structures uh, of our constitutional government to prevent this from happening. And so this is a this is a great test case for the the constitutional will of our people. That this is probably the largest single uh, public policy constituency. In the country, Uh, the massive percentage of the people of our country want to know about this. Uh, People of the world want to know about this, you know. Uh, And so that we have, if we can mobilize this constituency within our country to put the pressure on their elected representatives, all of those representatives, other than those who are completely dependent upon getting paid by the aerospace industry, (laughs) you know, uh, should be able to prevail. and uh, and what we're proposing is a sound, responsible, controlled disclosure campaign uh, to be undertaken by our government. Uh, you know, whatever the whatever the concerns are about the trauma that may be imposed upon people, they're all concerned about the religious institutions. You know, being traumatized by by discovering that you know, we're not the only sentient uh, species in the whole universe. You know that they're afraid that. You know, the the Catholic Church is going to respond the way they did the Galileo and the Copernicus, you know. Uh, None of that's true. You know, where I started working on this in 1977 was the United States Jesuit headquarters.
1: That's right, because you also, you went to divinity school.
2: Yes, it was Harvard Divinity School that I was recruited from, you know, to go to the Jesuit national headquarters to be their general counsel in their social ministry office. This is a social ministry process that we're engaged in here. of uh, of ministering to our whole human family to roll this information into place, to get a whole new worldview. That's why it's the New Paradigm Institute, to try to develop an entire worldview, a human worldview that integrates into it the reality of the fact that we are not only not at the geophysical center of the entire universe, which really got addressed and resolved with Copernicus and Galileo back in the 15th century. You know, what we have to come to grips with now is the fact that we're not at the apex of the pyramid of all sentient life in the universe. Uh, And and so we have to we have to have a worldview that accommodates that. And this is this is going to involve philosophy, theology, uh, sociology, social psychology. All of these different disciplines that are that exist in the academy and the universities are going to have to be brought to bear on this. And that's what we've been trying to do—to have a responsible process by means of which this information is, is is inserted into the into the community of our human family. And th- these guys are blocking it uh, and trying to keep it a secret and trying to pretend that everybody's crazy who who wants to, to deal with this in a realistic way.
1: Okay, so I mean, assuming everything is is true, um, it, it seems there is the just mind-boggling paradigm shift of the, the sentient beings, the UAPs, And all that stuff and and their existence. That's one story. And then the other story is almost equally as crazy. And that's the level of corruption and secrecy and illegality that has been going on in the U.S. government uh, in covering this up. You just uh, used a phrase called controlled disclosure. How do you control the disclosure of these two completely wild, crazy paradigm shifting stories that are very quickly appearing to be true.
2: Well, the second issue that we need to deal with here is the national security state. Really what we're encountering face-to-face right now is the exercise of power on behalf of the national security state that was created by the National Security Act of 1947. They created the Central Intelligence Agency, later created the, the National Security Agency. That what they've done is they've established an entire schizophrenic uh, kind of personality uh, in our democratic regime, uh, where the, they lie and they cheat and they steal and they murder and they assassinate, you know, uh, and uh, we have allowed them to do that. Uh, we've, we've actually authorized them to do that. Uh, and now Congress is starting to realize that they're retaliating against Congress. They're keeping Congress in the dark. They've actually knocked off Congress people. They've they've sent millions of dollars of covert money into Idaho, for example, to, to to diselect, unelect Frank Church, who was the chair of the Church Committee back in 1975, 76. He's the one that mounted a major investigation into the criminal conduct of the Central Intelligence Agency. And what they did is they took millions of dollars of drug money, They've been actually generated in Southeast Asia by the CIA station chief in Saigon, Theodore Shackley. Uh, they've been put into the bank over in Australia, the Nugan Hand Bank, and then moved it into two South African banks into the United States and put millions of dollars into the campaign against Frank Church in his own Senate race. You know, uh, and they did the same thing to uh, to uh, the, the Dick Clark, the United States Senator from Iowa. Who opposed their criminal covert operations in uh, in Africa, where they assassinated Patrice Lumumba, uh, and they they did it they did it to Birch Bay in Indiana, who opposed one of their programs. What we're looking at here is the absolute threatening poisoning of our democratic process by the operations of the national security state, uh, and they're doing it again here.
1: We're looking at a repeat of the Church hearings or the events that led up to the Church hearing.
2: And that's really what has to happen. They, they didn't do the job. The Senate Intelligence Committee, the Select Committee on, and the House and Senate Committee on Intelligence Abuse didn't really get to the bottom of the problem.
1: But let's go back to the phrase controlled disclosure. How, how do you see that unfolding with regards to the existence of UAPs and the non-human intelligence entities?
2: The, the, way, that, the way that this has been proposed in the 64-page bill, was to have a, uh, an, a, uh, a board uh, put together by the president of the United States that is going to have uh, a, an experienced member of the national intelligence community, an experienced member of the State Department in diplomatic relations, a, a, uh, an experienced Nobel level, a philosopher, a theologian, a sociologist, a social psychologist, you know, uh, it, to put this board together Uh, That is going to bring together some of the most intelligent people in each of these fields of human endeavor and try to analyze what the repercussions are going to be uh, so that we can take the steps necessary to start to prepare the people in those fields of human endeavor to start to prepare uh, for the adjustment of our human worldview. This is what has to happen.
1: I still want to go back to controlled disclosure, and if that doesn't happen, are we going to have catastrophic disclosure, and what could that look like?
2: Well, let let me shed some light on that. You know that I I'm, I was the attorney that got the call from the New York Times when they got all forty seven volumes of the Pentagon Papers, uh, and uh, was in the room when we made the decision to publish them. Right. Uh, and uh, I got—I was the one that got the call from Whitney Nor Seymour, who was the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York, representing the Nixon administration, saying, "You've got to stop publishing these. This is going to cause catastrophic damage to the national security of the United States." And I said to him, "Like what?" Uh, And he said, oh, I can't tell you because you don't have the adequate security clearances. So he said, I'm going to be bringing an action in the federal district court in the Southern District of New York to get an injunction against the New York Times if you don't voluntarily agree to stop publishing. And and I said, oh, you're going to try to get a a prior restraint on the New York Times? That's what we're talking about here. Uh, And so he brought the action in front of Judge Murray Gerfine over in the federal district. So we go in chambers with Murray Gerfine and Here's, here's what you know, Seymour said. We can't reveal this because it's going to have catastrophic damage to the national security of the United States. I kept saying, like what? Uh, and he wouldn't say. Uh, and so we ended up winning that. Uh, we published all 47 page uh, uh, volumes of the document, and it didn't cause any kind of catastrophic damage at all. Uh, so th- the reality is, this is a mythology for the most part.
1: Let me go back because we never answered the question about what does the JFK Assassination Records Collection Act have to do with the UAP Disclosure Bill.
2: Okay. Well, that, that was the model that was used in the drafting of the 64-page bill uh, by the Senate Intelligence Committee. That was the, the, the statute that was passed after the JFK assassination to, to set up a, a measured method of releasing the information about the Kennedy assassination. Once again because it was the national security state people to be clear who assassinated the president and they're terrified of that information coming out uh, and so that they wanted to establish a way of keeping it totally secret forever not not authorizing any kind of mechanism by means of which you can get at this information and the problem was is that the the uh, authority that was left uh, they what they set up the JFK documents review board, to start bringing out the information periodically. They would review it periodically. They would bring out more information periodically. And more and more information is now becoming available. So the fact of the matter is that now, you know, uh, 85% of the entire people in the United States don't believe the Warren Commission report. <laughs> they they know that it isn't true. You know, they know that, that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald wasn't functioning alone. Uh, they know that he was an operative of the intelligence community. They know that he was directly involved with with the CIA people in New Orleans,
1: but the public still doesn't have the full picture.
2: No, and and that's why that's why even though that's the general model that they use to set up this board, if we can give subpoena power to the board and give them the power of eminent domain, uh, the fact of the matter is that they can they can succeed if we give that board more teeth than the JFK review board had. So we we have a model to use, and we said, look at Just the the response is exactly as you say. But look, we still don't even know. I mean, the fact is we do know. The fact is I've taught a full course at the University of California, you know, 20, uh, 90 minute lectures on the Kennedy assassination to the point of naming who the people are who killed him. Do we know who the structure was? We know what just go on, go on our website. You know, the Romero Institute has got resources. There's 20 lectures there that tell all about the Kennedy assassination. It shows what we have been able to find out.
1: But the aim with the UAP uh, legislation is to put more teeth so that it doesn't take uh, 60 more years for just barely some of the information to come out.
2: That's exactly right. There's a seven-year statutory period that was part of the 64-page bill. So it's quite clear that what they're planning is a seven-year controlled disclosure you know, and we've been waiting for seventy-five years now uh, for this information. So, uh, so uh, uh, choreographing this and feathering it into the culture over a seven-year period, even though some of the people I say that's outrageous. We ought to get it all right now. Just dump it on us. Tell us everything. You know, we we'll say, look at, you know, that we're we're in charge here of trying to propose a re- responsible. Uh, choreography of rolling this information out, at the same time we have the churches reform themselves, the other institutions in our country, the, the universities prepare for this so that they can start to put together faculty that are capable of teaching this. You know, there's a whole structure that has to be put in place to be able to process this information and get it integrated into our, into our institutions.
1: Let me just loop back to what you said earlier. So now, with the current legislation as it is, assuming it doesn't grow teeth back, <laughs> and it remains in its current form, so start. So as soon as President Biden signs it into law, any information, no matter how classified it was, uh, no matter which agency, which um, uh, you know, which military branch, gets to go to the National Archives, unless, of course, the president intervenes and says, no, we don't want this to go to the National Archives.
2: No, no. It'll, it'll go to the archives.
1: It'll go to the archives.
2: If they comply.
1: If they comply, okay.
2: The problem is I don't think they're going to be willing to comply. These are the same people who, when they were ordered by Congress to turn over all the information, the videos of the tortures at Abu Ghraib, after they got the subpoena, they destroyed all of them and got away with it.
1: So aside from everything that's older than 25 years, what about documents and information that's less than 25 years
2: old? That information, the, the, under the present law, the head of the agency that possesses it has the authority to designate that as being postponed from any, any government disclosure. It has to go to the archives, however, but it, has, it can be put into a special secure category that it's not to be uh, exposed at all yet, okay. And that there, the problem is there's no method in place to to review that to get it revealed later. Uh, so it's postponed forever uh, as long as they're left in charge. So there has to be some sort of a step taken to, as they did in the 64-page bill, they put the the board itself had to review this periodically, and it was it was demanded that it be revealed ultimately. And they had a seven-year statute of limitations going on the thing.
1: So I mean basically the current bill in its current form is, is completely is almost completely meaningless.
2: No no, no, no that's no that's not fair. That, that what, what it is is it sets the framework and when you have it, look how important this is to have the United States Congress pass a law, and the President of the United States endorse it and send a command. To the Central Intelligence Agency to turn over all that information, and we can say it's useless because we know they won't do it. <laughs> that presents an astonishingly important constitutional question. You know, can in fact the National Security State openly defy the Congress and the President of the United States and get away with it? You know, and we have to we have to face that question here, uh, and we have to answer it in the negative say, no, they cannot get away with that. And therefore, we have to put the teeth back into the statute that's going to give us a means of extracting that information despite their desire to keep it secret.
1: All right. So in the meantime, uh, and until basically further developments on this bill, we keep an eye on what gets released to the National Archives.
2: Yes. And, and very importantly, that we need to understand that in that statute, There's a 300-day period that is now authorized in the statute, which is the same as what was in the 64-page bill. 300 days for each of the six defense uh, military services and agencies, etc., to gather all the information together, to put it into a digital format that can be searched and researched, and turn it over to the National Archives. That stays in place. That essential provision of the original act is in place so that that's an astonishingly important thing to have done. Uh, And is also has still in place that all of the information that's older than 25 years has to be released to the public uh, unless the president himself intervenes and, and allows it to be postponed. Those provisions are still there, just like we're in the original act. Uh, And that's so that that's those are extraordinarily important things that we've succeeded in getting put in place. And so it's not useless, you know.
1: And if those get ignored, then it becomes something of a constitutional crisis.
2: That's right. And we we have to resolve that constitutional crisis by getting Congress to stand up on its hind legs and put enforcement provisions back in. Uh, And the president is prepared to sign those.
1: Thank you very much, Daniel Sheehan, for your time today and for illuminating this very complex topic.
2: Terrific. I hope we've illuminated it somewhat.
1: As much as we're able. <laughs> Thank you, Danny.
2: Thank you, Rasha. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to the people.
1: You've been listening to The Lead. This episode was produced by myself, Patrick Hagan, and Joshua Martin.